You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. As Christians, we believe that God has not just done something for us so that we can have a good life, but actually that He's calling everyone to discover who He is. And He is using people like you and I as Christians to help people discover the wonder of His goodness. And if you were here last Sunday, you would have heard Pastor Paul preach a brilliant message to open this thought around a matter of conversation because it's paramount for us not just to find a great church that we can plan ourselves in, and I think we would all agree this is a great church, but that it would challenge us and change us to go out and reach our friends, reach our family, reach those that are in our workplaces, those that maybe some some people in society would say are unreachable so that the mission here at Life can be accomplished. What is that? To impact and change our generation with the reality of Jesus. We've just watched a video, and I'm sorry if you're sick of my voice already because you just had 10 minutes of it, but we, we just saw how we are seeing that reality take place. But if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I'm 33 years of age, been a Christian since I was three years old, we can leave the uh, idea of evangelism to a great church. We could leave the idea of seeing people set free and saved by God's grace to others and come in and go out and have a great Sunday morning on a great long weekend and that be that. Or we can be challenged by God's word that we're going to look at in a moment that would cause you and I to go out and live differently so that this place would be too small too quickly. That every single Sunday you're driving, you know, a kilometer down the road going, oh no, (laughs) parking's going to be hard today. Because there is such an attraction to what God is doing because not of a great service or a great building. But because people like you and I get committed to the cause of Christ, which is to see lost people found. And if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. And uh, Luke 15, verses 1 to 7, we're going to look at in a moment. But last Sunday, Pastor Paul, I love how he put it in terms of this theme, this series of a matter of conversation. We need to be people that have unconditional love, no strings attached, love to those we work with, those that are in our families that have yet to discover the wonder and the goodness of grace, not just unconditional love, but undeniable grace. That people would look at you and I and say, it's kind of getting on my nerves that you still love me even though I'm trying to make you hate me. (laughs) An undeniable grace about our lives. And then thirdly, once we've displayed this unconditional love, lived with this undeniable grace, we now have permission to communicate with an uncompromised truth. How many of us get it the other way around, as Pastor Paul put it, where we want to have an uncompromised truth up front? Hey, you're living wrong. This is what the book says. And people don't get grace and they don't feel love because it is different to their current reality, yet we've got to work through a matter of conversating to get people to an understanding that there is a God in heaven who loves and cares. And no matter what you could do or what you may be doing right now, you can't separate that love that he has for you because he's full of grace. But there is a kicker. If you want to receive God, then you need to recognize the truth because the truth 
is what sets you and I free. So today, as we read in this passage of Scripture, I guess I want your hearts to be open, your ears to lean into God's Word, because I don't want this just to be another message in the series, but actually something that spurs us to go out and live differently. So that all of us could believe that, hey, this week through a conversation, we could all be sitting next to someone next Sunday that is yet to discover the wonder and reality of what we've discovered purely because it is our mandate, our mission as Christians to see lost people found. Chapter 15, verse 1 says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I don't know if I've met someone that's pumped off a tax collector. They're kind of generally looked at as the people we don't want to be around because they pinch our money. (laughs) Tax collectors and notorious sinners. I don't know if you know a notorious sinner. You know someone that doesn't just dabble in it, but they are it. (laughs) The Bible says that people that you and I as Christians may try and avoid or are not fond of, watch this now, often came to Jesus to listen to him teach. Now, I've been a Christian a little while and that kind of does my head in because often what's in this book is rather opposite to the people that are notorious sinners. What was it about Jesus who spoke with uncompromised truth that caused people to often come and hear what he had to say. Potentially, it was the undeniable grace and this love that said, man, you're preaching counterculture to my life right now. But it did not cause them to shy away, but often come and hear him teach. Is your gospel, is my gospel, is your life, is my life attractive to tax collectors and notorious sinners? Do they want to often come for a conversation? Or are you or am I the person that says, oh, stay away from that one at lunchtime? (laughs) Challenging. (laughs) What was it about how Jesus lived his life that caused notorious sinners to want to hear him? Verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, watch it now, complain. The God people, the ones that knew best and knew the most about God, Jesus was hanging with a crowd that caused the godly to complain about it. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people. And I love what the Bible says. He wasn't just associating, he was even eating with them. Heaven forbid. What is it about our Christianity, before we go any further, that puts the weight towards us being judgmental when Christians like you and I go about setting out on a journey to see lost people found. I don't ever want to get to a point where I assume the worst about people believing the best 
in someone that is yet to discover the wonder of God. But here we find that Jesus himself lived a life that attracted sinners, and not just sinners, notorious sinners, to himself often, not once, not twice, often. Yet on the other side, we have people that knew better than Jesus, knew better than God himself, and they started complaining about God doing God's work. I know in my own life, I've been guilty of seeing it from one perspective or seeing it from one way, but I, for one, in this series, have started to get challenged to have a righteous passion to see lost people found. But if I'm honest, there's been times where complaint can come in because it's not easy. I take a hit or two, and when we live a life the way God designed our lives to be lived in relationship with Him and with others, not just others that we get along with, but tax collectors and notorious sinners, we will get a scar or two. But as we're going to discover, God is always with us. God is always for us. And I love how God works. He models through Jesus a life that we can follow. It goes on to say this because Jesus, he loves a good old illustration to explain the simplicities and complexities all in one of the kingdom. So these Pharisees are complaining, and Jesus uses this illustration. If you had 100 sheep, and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the lost one until you found it? And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders, and when you arrived, you would call together your friends and your neighbors to rejoice with you. Why? Because your lost sheep was now found. You would get so excited because it was yours and you had lost it, but you had now found it. In the same way, verse 7, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Simply put, God is looking for you and I to not live as a religious leader or a Pharisee of the time, complaining about the fact that someone would go to a place where a notorious sinner may be, not only having a conversation or associate, but dare to have food with them. What is Jesus trying to model? Hey, you guys need to understand through this illustration that what makes heaven happy is not that you come and get your life right and hang out here in your happy clappy club on a Sunday morning, sing some great Christian karaoke, hear a great update of what we're a part of through Legacy, have a, have a bit of an encouragement around the world and turn around and go out and then turn around seven days later, come back and do it again. No, no, heaven rejoices, not on this. Heaven rejoices more. It is happier for God when we leave the importance of the happy clappy club where we get encouraged and we sing songs and we build faith and we see healing take place. We have great coffee, great conversations. Our kids hopefully are getting a great deposit from who God is and what He's doing in their life and their moment. And we go out 
and we do what Jesus did. We have conversation about who God is and what he's done and what he can do for you. But if I'm honest, I've been in enough church services, more than I can probably count up to. Been doing this thing a long time. It can be so easy to sit and complain about how bad the world is. Oh my gosh, it's getting so dark. Have you seen the latest headline? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm here feeling good because all my 99, they're all on the same page. We're all complaining together. And poor old Jesus is like, hey, can someone help me out over here? I love what Jesus says in this illustration, though. The moment you get off your tush, <laughs> paraphrase, Luke De Jong version, get out and have a conversation. One thing that was lost is now found, but watch what happens. If it was your sheep, you would go do it. And when you find your sheep, you're not going to come back and just be like, oh, man, that was a good day. Something rises up on the inside because there is a joy and an excitement that comes from heaven through us when we get to be a part of rewriting someone's story. We don't just come back and, come on. We whip it over the shoulders like a triumphant victory, and we call all our neighbors, all our friends, hey, this monkey's trying to get away. <laughs> I found him. Let's all rejoice. What is that? It's a connection with what we're designed to do. <laughs> Again, I want to stir you because this, for me, is a paramount concept to Christianity that doesn't get further than a concept if we don't activate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Great Commission, I got it. Yeah, yeah, go into all the world. No, 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 Jesus speaking, hey, <laughs> You're going to get hated for getting out of your boat by the people that shouldn't hate you. But heaven rejoices more than you doing the right thing with the righteous people over you going out to see lost people found. And today I wonder how well, asking myself, asking you, we are at doing that. Because in the next five weeks, we're going to have more great teaching on this, and then that'll be another series wrapped up. Not worth it for me and for my house if it doesn't result in conversations outside of this building taking place in our city, in our nation, our workplaces, our sports clubs, our universities. Why? Because there are lost people that need to be found. So if you're taking notes, this is the title of the message, simply this, search and rescue. Search and rescue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you as your word declares where two or three are gathered under your name, you're in the midst. I pray this wouldn't just be another message or another idea that we hear, Lord God, but this would be a word in season for all of us that would challenge us from the inside out. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us wherever we may be at. We thank you for your goodness and what you've done today, but we ask for so much more. By your name we pray it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever lost something valuable to you. I've lost many things valuable to me that are easy enough to replace, but when it's something really valuable to you, it doesn't go too well. As a parent, 
there is this moment, if you're a parent here, you'll know what I'm talking about, where you discover something your kid gets attached to, and straight away you know that thing cannot be lost because it's that thing that soothes that kid in that moment when they can't be soothed. It's like you know that soft toy or you know that that key piece to their, I guess, wiring. Hey, when I have this, all is okay. You know that that is a vital, vital tool in your arsenal to keep this child sane. Well, I'll never forget going on a trip over to Canada. Uh, Melissa's family lives over there, and so we had at the time Ruby and Bella, and we went to a shopping mall. Now, shopping malls over there are slightly over-exaggerated compared to what we have here. They're often seven levels high, and it kind of takes half a day just to get around one level, let alone all seven. So you kind of want to know where you're wanting to go, and there was a few places Missy wanted to shop at, and so we, we embarked on this journey, and we had a great time. We had lunch there, and so we were there for, I don't know, three, four hours. When we got back in the car, the girls were fairly tired, worn down, and I hear from the back little Ruby say, Dad, where's Bun Buns? Bun Buns? Where's Bun Buns? I can't find Bun Buns. I'm like, I don't know, bud. Have a look yourself. It's probably around you somewhere. No, Dad, I can't find bun buns. Now, bun buns is not just bun buns. It's bun buns. <laughs> Team are going to put a photo of bun buns on the screen. <laughs> and as you can see, this is no ordinary soft toy. Very well loved <laughs> to the point of destruction. And there's not too many days, months, or years left in Bun Buns. But this particular day, Bun Buns was not in the car. The car was already in reverse. I was about to leave the car park when this pandemonium started to happen. And through the panic, the cry got a little bit louder. Where's Bun Buns? All right, but I'll go check. Maybe he's in the boot. He's probably in the stroller. Where'd you have him? The whole process, if you're a parent, you know the whole dilemma so I search high and low in the car there is no bum buns now I'm kind of getting a little bit anxious at this stage because we're in another country and I know that where this bun buns came from they don't have the store there we've actually had this happen once before with a bun buns and so we just were able to replace bun buns and all was well <laughs> but I thought to myself hmm this could get niggly real fast and as I looked and looked and looked, I couldn't find it. And as a parent, I made a fatal mistake. I said to Ruby, Ruby, look, I can't find bun buns, but it's okay. We'll just buy another one. <laughs> now, I thought I knew what pastoring someone through a grief process was, being a pastor. But I'm telling you, the full range of emotions started to kick in in the back seat with that four-year-old. Wailing the works. So in the pressure of it, I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'm going to go look for him in the mall. 30 minutes later, after retracing my tracks three times, asking the info desk six times, talking to numerous strangers and asking this idiotic question, hey, have you seen Bun Buns? <laughs> I came up empty-handed. 
The photo you see on the screen is not Bun Bun's 1.0 or 2.0, that is Bun Bun's 3.0. Because there has been two other models that we have somehow lost, and I'm telling you, there's a new rule in the house after that moment, Bun Bun's does not leave the bed. It is not worth my sanity to lose Bun Bun's again. But I'll never forget the moment for Ruby because Bun Bun's was her everything. It meant everything to her. This was the Bun Bun that went everywhere. This was the Bun Bun she kissed on the ears every night she went to sleep. This was the Bun Bun she dreamed about. <laughs> but to me, it was just Bun Bun's. Oh, it was important as a parent, don't get me wrong, but nowhere near as important as it was to Ruby. And I can't help but think with this series, when we're talking about lost people being found, how often we see those that are in our sphere of life that aren't yet in this relationship with Jesus as the way I saw bun buns, yet the way God sees them is the way Ruby saw bun buns. See, I clicked into a mode as a parent of trying to appease and ease the wailing by spending an extra half an hour finding bum buns. But it was not good enough as far as Ruby was concerned. And if I let the little four-year-old out of the restraint of her car seat, we probably would still be in that mall today until she found bun buns. See, this is the difference between us moving from a personal relationship with Jesus for ourselves and discovering, as Jesus put it, the wonder of lost people becoming found. The necessity for you and I is to understand that God's goodness is not just for us alone, but for all of us, a matter of conversation is paramount to our faith. Because I've come to discover why I live here on earth will ultimately determine how I live here on earth, which actually ultimately affects who I live for. Why I'm here and the discovery of that now changes how I'm here, which ultimately affects who I'm here for. The challenge for you and I is to not just be okay with God's goodness for ourselves while we see other people miss out, but as Ruby so brilliantly put in that moment for me that we need to live our lives like every single person that is yet to discover what we've discovered is someone that is our responsibility, not someone else's. Yet if we're really honest, it can be so easy to view people as I viewed Bun Buns. Oh, there'll be another one. We'll get, another, we'll get it another time. It's not that big of a deal. No, no, no. Jesus speaking, hey, it's, it's far, far more of an importance and a paramount to your faith to be living for lost people than to be hanging out with the 99. So today, really quickly, really simply, I guess, I looked at, for my own life, what is required for me to share my story. If we are to have a matter of conversation, let's be honest, it's not easy. Why is that? Because God's word often is very countercultural to our society. But the word is truth, and the truth sets us and others free, so we have to live with this love and this grace and this truth. 
as Pastor Paul put it. So simply, three things that sharing our story requires. Number one, an understanding of the mission. I'm not asking you if you can quote Matthew 25, the Great Commission, go into all the world. No, do you understand your mission? Do you and I fully fathom what God is asking us to do? Here's the way I can put it into a question. Are lost people God's responsibility or mine? The people I do life with, are they my responsibility? And is it my turn to have a conversation or do I leave that to God to sort out for someone else? Because I've got to be honest with you, the reality is we just slip into what we prefer. Like attracts like. So I'd rather have a conversation with someone that's of the same ilk or gets it, not a notorious sinner or a tax collector. Because I know it's going to be a challenge for them. But sharing my story requires this understanding of the mission. I love how 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 5 in the New Living Translation pens this. Timothy writes, Hey, it's Timothy here in the presence of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is destined to judge both the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom. I solemnly instruct you to proclaim the word of God and stand upon it no matter what. Rise to the occasion and preach when it is convenient and preach when it is not. Preach in the full expression of the Holy Spirit with wisdom and patience as you instruct and teach the people. For the time is coming when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of the truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out. <laughs> that this, this is the key. You and I need to live with this understanding that people will seek out like for like Teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires. Saying just what they want to hear and then they will close their ears ultimately to the truth and believe, believe nothing but fables and myths. So, verse 5, be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planter and evangelist, and fulfill your ministry calling. Your heart, your passion, your calling. Your heart, your passion, your calling. Do you understand that a part of God's plan is you? Do I understand that actually God saving me was not just for me, but for others? And if I don't do my bit in understanding the mission and activating that, there will be a potential for people to miss out. Yes, God is God and God is in control. However, he chooses to presence himself and use himself through you and I to see lost people found. An understanding of the mission becomes vitally paramount. The mission never changes, we do. So if you've been a Christian a little while like myself, it was a whole lot easier to be excited and understand and declare what God had done in your life in that moment, because it changed your life. But do a little life for a little while, familiarity and unevenness starts to come in if you're not careful. 
you think, oh, no, I'm a Pharisee now. I've been around a little while. I'm a religious teacher of the law. I know God. And we start to complain about people telling people how good God is because they're mixing with people we shouldn't mix with. The mission never changes. The mission is to see people's lives encounter the love of Christ. But we do, and if we're not careful in doing so, we lose focus of the mission. His truth, this word, matters far more than my opinion. So if it's truth that we're living by, and it's truth that sets people free, then we have to live in a way, as Pastor Paul put it, where love and grace are at the forefront for now truth to be imparted. God's truth is already set. We get to determine the level of His grace and His love to people through how we live our lives. Let's be people that understand the mission. Number two, sharing my story requires an urgency with my time. Not just an understanding of what God's got me here for, but an urgency with my time. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor. There I was. That was the start, the middle years, the midlife crisis, and the end. There was your life. You came into the world, you lived in the world, you left the world. What we do with that vapor highly matters. See, see, we live with like a sense of, hey, yeah, we're all going to die one day. But I wonder how urgent we are with our time. Uh, I'll have that conversation with them one day. But I've got a few things I need to get sorted in my own life before I feel comfortable to talk to them about Jesus. Oh. Sorry, too late. Come on, let's be real for a moment. We feel like 75, 80 years, quite a long, long innings. And if we're not careful, we say we'll get around to it one day when, but the question for you and I is, do we have time for lost people? Because if I'm honest, I, I work pretty much 24-7 in church. I have three young kids. One wife, I've got a whole lot of reasons and excuses as to why I don't have time for the notorious sinner or the tax collector. Because life is full, life is busy, and if I'm not careful, the urgency disappears from how I see my time and the value of it for people. The moment I realized it wasn't going to go well when Buns Buns was not in the car, was the moment I had no time to waste. I had to get out of the car and show Ruby something was going to be done about it. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget the walk back to the car from the morgue with the bad news. And the next wave of grief entered the car the whole way home. I couldn't turn up the radio loud enough to drown out the upset little girl in the back because what was lost hadn't been found. How urgent do we live our lives, our time for people that are yet to discover who God is? Romans 1 verse 6 in the Message Bible puts it this way. Through him, we received both the generous gift of his life, watch it now, and the urgent task 
of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into the obedient trust in Jesus. You were saved not just for yourself, but for the urgent task of letting other people know, I once was lost, but now I'm found. But urgency can walk out the window when busyness is here. One thing that someone said once to me that I guess changed it for me was, hey, do you realize sin doesn't, it's not just making people bad. Sin actually makes people dead. See, the Bible says that when we live in sin, we are living in death, but as we discover that Jesus came to break the power of sin and we acknowledge Jesus in our lives, we now have life and life in abundance. And so for me, one of the things that helps with the urgency of my time is not just seeing people as, oh, you're a notorious sinner, you're bad. No, 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 I've got to realize that your sin, you may not know this and it may not be the appropriate time to go this far with truth yet because I need love and I need grace, but I'm going to view it as an understanding that, hey, if I don't do something about this real quick, death is where you're going to be. But I have life because of Jesus, not just for myself, but as the Message Bible puts it, to be urgently letting you know there's a way out and it's good news. But if we're not careful, we kind of live non-urgent because, oh, it's just sin. We'll get to it one day. You know, they're just bad people. No, sin makes people dead. And we have life and life in abundance to bring to them. Third and finally is the team come and join me. Not for me with sharing my story is it just an understanding of the mission or an urgency with my time, but this unending commitment to lost people being found. As I said, you know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstance and on every occasion even to when it all finishes up the good news is God doesn't just set us up for this mission and then tell us to live urgently and then that be that he is with us through the journey but you and I need to understand that it's going to take an unending commitment on our behalf to see lost people found for this to become a reality and the conversation to take place. So I guess the question is simply this. In my own life, who is it that I've given up on? In the front of my Bible here, I've got two names, one of the pages on the inside cover, Matthew and Brad. Two friends from primary school, intermediate school, high school, friends that back then I prayed for every single day and to be honest it of late has been too few and far between that I prayed for them in fact I'm not on social media so I don't really know what they're up to but I felt challenged a few months ago by God to find out where they're at and try and work out a way that I can re-enter and not give up on them re-enter the story I found out that Brad currently lives with his partner over in Europe and Matt lives up in Cooper's Beach in the far north, recently got married. Turns out that his uh, wife's parents live in Stanmore Bay and I'm 
recently relocated to Silverdale, so I managed to get a hold of him and planning to catch up with him, but it takes an unending commitment. A lot of the time to not give up on people and see lost people become found. So who is it in your world that you thought, you know what, notorious sinner? You know what, tax collector, they're just hard work. I'm out. I think sharing our story, having a matter of conversation actually makes a predetermined decision. I'm not going to give up until this lost person becomes found. Don't know if you remember group projects back at school. I I always used to love them because if you were smart enough, you could work out who was good at what and eventually you didn't need to do anything, but you got the credit for the group doing a good job. No, just me? Okay. Sometimes we think Christianity is a group project. Oh, the church will do that. Oh, that's Pastor Johnny's job. Oh, I haven't been a Christian that long, so I'll leave that to someone who's done it for 20 years. And we fail to realize that it takes you and I, all stages and all ages of life, to carry an unending commitment to see lost people found because there will be someone. Because this is how good God is that is put in your world that needs to hear your story. And it's only your story that's going to connect with their story, not someone else's story, because God is in control and gives us all opportunities to believe in people and to see lost people found. Someone once said in a throwaway line in a message recently, hey, realize we're not just alive to get to death safely. But if we're honest, we all know we're going to die. We just don't want to think about it or talk about it. And so we kind of do live our life as safe as we can to get to death. But even if it costs you your life, you would gain so much more, as the Bible puts it, because of God's goodness and His grace that is towards us. And on the other side of this life is eternity and a life in Christ. But while we're here, let's use this wisely. Because on the other side of this is a generation that will one day say, thank goodness someone shared their story and did not give up on my life because that changed our family, which changed that family, which changed that community, which changed that city. And that city had an influence on that nation all because there was an unending commitment to lost people becoming found. I love it because God sent us this model, as I said, through Jesus. And He didn't just send a servant or He didn't just send an angel. He sent His one and only Son. The best He could give, He gave. And the Bible says He did it while we were still sinners. While we were still the notorious sinner, the tax collector, God gave His best. So we ought to do the same for others. Much is given, much is required, the Bible says, and God chose because of His love and His grace to send His best. But with His best came the truth, and when we received the truth, the truth set us free. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.